0: I have a question that I want you to think about today. Here's the question. How's your heart? How is your heart doing? If you go to a doctor and you get a checkup or you get a physical, the doctor wants to know, how is your heart doing? The doctor wants to evaluate your heart because the heart is the wellspring of life. If your heart is not functioning, then we are not functioning as a a person. And a doctor will run tests and take blood tests and then give you some results. And from those results, they will tell you your heart is in good shape, your heart is in bad shape, or your heart is in okay shape. And many times, they'll give some recommendations to change your diet or to adjust your exercise so that your heart functions properly. You've probably been through that experience before. I know I've been through that experience. The doctor says, hey, this number's off a little bit. Let's get a little bit more exercise involved. Or this number's high a little bit. Let's not eat so much fatty food. Today, I have a parallel question for you as Paul turns our attention to our spiritual hearts. We've been walking through Colossians, and today he turns the corner with us to say, let's look at our spiritual heart. You see, the heart is mentioned in the Bible as your inner self, sort of kind of like what your mind is or how your mind thinks. When we think of our mind, what Paul's really referring to is our heart. The heart is where the voice of your inner self speaks. It's what you think, it's what you will, and it's what you desire. The Bible actually talks about the purpose of your heart, the thoughts of your heart, or the desires of your heart. The heart, it's a place where our actions and our behaviors begin. Matter of fact, Jesus said, out of the heart comes thoughts of murder and lying and adultery And the list goes on. He says all these thoughts that don't align with God, they all start within the heart. Jeremiah also diagnosed our heart and says the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? Scripture tells us that out of the heart we are called stubborn. Our hearts are called stubborn. Our hearts are called disloyal to God. Our hearts are called perverse. Our hearts are called calloused. By nature. And so we pray as the psalmist prayed, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Create in me a clean heart. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we talk about some heart issues today. We live in very troubled times. Do you agree with me? If you agree that we are in some troubled times, would you give a thumbs up right now? Would you put a comment that just says, I agree? And I think that in these troubled times, we need to discover how do we have peace? You want some peace, say, I need it. Put a comment here says, I need it. You think about troubled times. 2020 has been the year of the pandemic, coronavirus. It's been the year of racial tensions that have just really come to to a head in this year. It's been a a year of tornadoes and hurricanes and disease and disappointment and financial stress, and the list goes on. And I stop and look at that and go, how do we have peace in this? God, what do you say about all this stuff? And it's interesting because as we come to Colossians chapter 3 here midway through, I think some of the same stuff was going on that Paul wrote this letter. And he's like, listen, in the midst of these troubles, you can still have peace. Look at verse 15 I think we see these three verses and I think we can discover how to have peace in troubled times according to what Paul tells us and what Paul has written to the church in Colossae. Here's what he says. First and foremost, he says, you want peace in troubled times? You need to choose peace. Notice the word in the text that says rule. In the original language of the Bible, the original Greek, that word rule is actually an athletic term that was applied to the officials of the game. We would call them umpires or, or referees today. They were the ones who controlled the action of, uh, of play on the field. Today they have a lot of extra help and in, uh, instant replay and etc. But Paul is telling us that the peace of Christ is the umpire or the referee of our hearts. His peace is to have final say, the final word on, on any matter. He says, let the peace of Christ Rule. Let the peace of Christ referee, let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Who or what rules our hearts today? Who has control of our hearts? You see, if you let worry have its way there will be no peace in your life. If you let complaining and criticizing control you, then there will be no peace. If you let guilt grip you, there will be no peace. If you let anger and bitterness and hatred and revenge and fear rule your hearts, there will be no peace. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let the peace of Christ, in other words, umpire, a referee, what's going on on the inside. For many years, Argentina and Chile had been on the verge of war with each other over a boundary dispute. They were ready to pull out the guns and go to battle. Finally, though, they realized the horror and the futility of a war between their countries, and they agreed to a peaceful resolution, And to commemorate this peace agreement in 1904, they melted down some of their guns and some of their cannons and used the metal to build a large statue of Christ on this mountain between the boundaries of these two countries. Here's what it looks like today. I want you to check this out. It's quite remarkable. They put that... Um, that statue of Jesus Christ there with with both flags representing both countries right at the boundary line. And, And on the plaques down below at the foot of Jesus underneath it, here's what's written, Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than the peoples of Argentina and Chile break the peace, which at the feet of Christ, the Redeemer, they have sworn to maintain. So in 1904, they said, at the feet of Christ, we make a commitment to peace. On this lonely mountain peak, in the in the, Andres, the Andes, the, the huge statue of Christ stands, and they call it Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. Christ the Redeemer. Christ is the Redeemer of our lives. They're saying Christ is the one that redeemed peace. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, there's a promise of trouble. There's difficulties going to come. We're going to have challenges. He listen, peace is going to come. He says in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I mean, there's warnings from Jesus throughout Scripture. Trouble's going to come. We're walking in a pandemic right now. We're walking towards the end of the year. We're, we're, we're changing over presidential hands. We are in a, in a very challenging time still. And you know what? It may settle in the next few months. But things are going to become challenging again. Things are going to become difficult again. We're going to get through 2020. We don't know what 2021 brings, we don't know what 2022 brings. I'll promise you this because it's in Scripture. You will have trouble. It might be marriage trouble. It might be child-rearing trouble. It might be job trouble. It might be health troubles. It might be a hurricane, or it might be um, tornadoes. We don't know, but we do know that trouble will come. Things things are going to settle down with the pandemic eventually, but there will be more trouble. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who know how to overcome trouble. Scripture tells us that we are to promote peace by putting the needs of others ahead of our own. We put people ahead of ourselves. We promote peace by forgiving those who have sinned against us. Have you ever been wronged? Someone ever sinned against you? Sure, we all have. And so we forgive people, but we also promote peace by seeking forgiveness from those we have sinned against because we're all guilty of doing that as well. Colossians 3.13, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's always a hard passage to look at. Forgive as the Lord forgave me because it's hard for me to look at my own sin. It's hard for me to look at my own wrongs. It's hard for me to look at the things that I don't do right and realize the Lord has forgiven that of my sins, I came across this prayer. it's the, called the prayer of a, a married woman. She's praised. Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man. Lord, I pray for love to forgive him. Lord, I pray for patience for His moods, which are many. Lord, I don't pray for strength, because if I had strength, I'd beat him to death. Amen. I think a lot of us understand that prayer. We understand that prayer that sometimes we just want to go hurt somebody. The Lord says we need to practice forgiveness. We promote peace by praying for people and praying with people. We promote peace by refusing to gossip and grumble, which Scripture calls sin, and just stop and think about in the workplace. Stop and think about it with your neighbors. Stop and think about it with my family members. Stop and think about this last week of Thanksgiving. How much gossiping and grumbling went on. We promote peace by seeking good in people and praising them for that. It's so easy for us to see the bad or see the negative in people. We promote peace when we see good and we praise them and say, Wow, what you're doing is great. See, you make that choice and say, I'm going to choose peace. And then what God does is God starts to change your life. God starts to bring adjustment to your life. Let Jesus rule in your life, and his peace will rule your heart, your words, your relationships, your attitudes. We must choose peace. If we're going to discover peace in troubled times, it's a choice to choose peace. But then Paul says, listen, you don't just choose peace. You need to embrace God's word. You need to embrace Scripture. Look at verse 16 and what Paul says. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He doesn't say, let it visit you. Let it come for a short visit and then move on. He doesn't say, let the Word of Christ just be a guest in your heart, come and spend a little bit of time, and then leave. To dwell in you means to let the Word of Christ move in and take up residency. Let the Word of Christ move into your life and take up residency so much that other things are even kicked out of your heart, kicked out of your mind. See, if you do, then His Word will begin to remodel your life. When you let the Word of God take up residency inside of you, it's like bringing one of those people on a show uh, makeover show where they come over and they say, we're going to turn your house upside down, and they make your house look brand spanking new within like 30 days. You let God come into your life, remodel your life, and He'll make your life brand spanking new. Now, it may take more than 30 days. But he makes it all new. And you let God's word take over your life, he remakes your priorities. You start watching different television shows. You start thinking differently. You start spending money differently. You start investing differently. You start giving differently because he's remaking your priorities. When you let God's word dwell in your life, he reshapes your thinking. He starts to change the way you think about this world, the way you view other people, the way you view politics, the way you view uh, people of different race than you are. He, he reshapes all of your thinking. He replaces your old life with a new life and points our life towards that new life we have in eternity. It has been said that this book, God's Holy Word, His Scriptures. Say, it has been said this book is the mind of God and it's the state of man. It's the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are bindings, and its histories are true. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its grand subject, our good its purpose, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. And yes, to glory itself for all of eternity. Paul says, let this right here, God's word dwell in you richly. What what are you allowing to dwell richly? What are you allowing to take up residency in your life? See, when it comes to the word of Christ, we need to love it. I mean, this should be the first thing we open daily. I'm guilty. Open my email, open social media, turn on the television. Do we love it? We should want to learn it. We should want to live it. We should say, God, if this is you, I want to know everything about you. Hebrews four twelve says, "For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart." In other words, this word, the word of God, that is living and active. It's not a dead book. It's not a book to set on a shelf to collect dust. This book will guide our lives. Is what the Hebrew writer was saying in Psalm one nineteen. David says, "The word." Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its words should I hide in my heart. Paul, Paul writes these words. He's a dean of Baylor University Theological Seminary. He says, Many say the Bible is old fashioned. Well, so is the Son. But without it, men grope in darkness. So is the air, but without it, men grasp and die. So is water, but without it, men go mad. In the midst of the complexities of life, don't forget the Holy Bible. Believe it, read it, and heed it. It holds the key to life. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, this is is light because we get to know Jesus. We get to know God. This is not dead. It's it's not lifeless. It's actually truth. And it's truth that believers profess. It's alive and vital. It, It dispels doubts and dispels fears and dispels difficulties. And then when we truly know it, what do we do? we sing with gratitude. We praise with gratitude. Our hearts become warm to God and we discover the blessing God has for us. And then what happens is we get to know God's word. We start to discover peace even though we live in continual troubled times. You want to discover peace? It takes a choice. It takes choosing peace. It takes us embracing God's word and it takes us seeking peace to praise God. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever you do, As you go to work tomorrow and you deal with the boss that is difficult, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. As you deal with a sick child, maybe this week, as you change a diaper for you young parents, as you deal with your finances, as you... Deal with stress in your life as you go shopping, as you go to the mall, as you go to a restaurant. Whatever you do, as you interact with your neighbor, as you deal with the person that is difficult, whatever you do, you do it giving thanks to God the Father. Paul says that should be our attitude, whatever we do. The Apostle Paul, I think, is a perfect example of this. In Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He had that attitude, and that's how he could have a whatever attitude. Whatever I do, it doesn't matter because I live in Christ. Whatever I do, I praise Christ. I can be thankful in Christ. Whatever I do, I can walk in thankfulness because it's not my body that lives. I'm living in Christ who lives in you. Believer in Jesus, who lives in you and me? See, if Christ lives in you, that's who they should see. You say, I'm not a believer yet. Well, I'd love to help you on that path. This church, Center Point Christian Church, would love to help you on that journey and come to know Christ to understand what it means to live in Christ. So in these troubled times, you say, listen, I have peace. The story is told of Gordon Maxwell. He was a missionary to India that when he asked a Hindu scholar to teach him the language, the Hindu replied, No, sahib, I will not teach you my language. You would make me a Christian. Maxwell replied and says to this Hindu, You misunderstand me. I'm simply asking you to teach me your language. Again, the Hindu replied and said, No, sahib, I will not teach you. No man can live with you and not become a Christian. Wow. Wow what a life testimony. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ, giving thanks to the Father through Him. It's amazing what an attitude of gratitude can do for you and me. See, giving thanks will change your perspective and change your priorities. Instead of looking for the bad, you'll be looking for the good. You'll count your blessings and not count your burdens. You'll be grateful for what you have and less greedy for what you don't have. You'll be hope-filled and not helpless. Whatever you do, when you have that mind that whatever I do, I do it in thankfulness to Jesus Christ. It changes our mind and how we walk in this world. Sadly, though, there are many people and many believers who don't live lives like that. Stories told of two old friends who bumped into each other on the street. One of them looked very miserable and almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked him, what has the world done you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. And his friend says, congratulations, that's a lot of money. And then two weeks ago, a cousin who I've never met died and left me free and clear. And he's like, I don't know why you're so gloomy. What's going on? He said, well, it sounds like you've been really blessed. I don't understand why you'd be sad. He said, well, you don't understand. Last week, my great aunt died, and I inherited a quarter of a million dollars more. And his friend's looking at him like, you're crazy. Why would you be sad? Why would you be down? Why would you be out? And now the friend was really confused. Well, why so gloomy? The sad fellow sighed. He said, this week... Nothing. Stop and think about it. Now, we may not have a comparison of receiving 40,000 or 85,000 or a quarter of a million. But when you stop and you look at your blessings, are you down because you're like, well, God blessed me at this time of my life and this time of my life, but I'm not seeing the blessings now. And if I don't see a blessing right now, do we go into the doom and the gloom? Do we miss out on the blessing God has? See, in Jesus Christ, we have so much to be thankful for. This week was Thanksgiving week, and I sent text messages personally to about 100 people and just asked them, would you share with me three things you're thankful for? had many responses, and it was just overwhelming joy for me to see responses from people saying, I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for good health. I'm thankful because of my military friend. I'm thankful for all these blessings. So many times we miss those. So many times we can go right through the week of Thanksgiving, enjoy family time, eat, and move on with whatever the next holiday is. I want to ask you right now, wherever you are, I want to ask you to take out a piece of paper. Maybe just open up your phone if you can. Get a scratch piece of paper and and just write these words on it Lord, what should I be thankful for in my life? Lord, what should I be thankful for in my life? You write that down. And I want to ask you this week as we're turning the corner from November into December, heading towards our Christmas season, to make that a daily prayer and keep a list. Lord, what should I be thankful for in my life? And as you ask that question, to stop and just listen and write it down and start creating a thankfulness list. Because when we're thankful and we focus on the good things, we focus on the blessings from God, what happens is the troubles tend to kind of fade away. The troubles become less because what we focus on is what we will feast on. You hear me? I'll hear that one more time. What we focus on is what we will feast on. Focus on the negative and you'll become negative. Focus on your money and you'll think about money. Focus on your work and your mind will be consumed with work. Focus on the positives and things to be thankful for and you will become a positive, thankful, peaceful person. See, at certain times in life we go to the doctor They draw some blood and a few days later you'll probably get your results in the mail or maybe over a phone call. They'll give you the scores of things like, well, your triglycerides are this and your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, is this and your LDL is bad, and which is your bad cholesterol, and it's this and your thyroid is this and your vitamin D is this and there's a scale and here's what the good number is within that scale and here's what the bad number is and here's adjustments you should make. You know, right now, wherever you're at, whether you've come in here into this place today or, or rather you... You're at home in a living room or you're sitting in your car, your kitchen table with your, with your family. You're sitting before the great physician. You're sitting before the person who is the healer. And let me ask you, if he were to give you a score this morning, uh, uh, say a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to choosing peace, 1 not so good and 10 you're doing great, you're off the chart. where would the score be at? See, the great physician, he's not going to draw your blood and give you a number. It's just in prayer with the power of the Spirit for you to be able to say, Lord, where am I at on this choosing peace? Would it be a one? Man, I haven't been peaceful at all. Would it be a five? I'm kind of in the middle. Would it be, hey, an eight or nine? I'm doing pretty good. It, when it comes to embracing God's Word in your life, letting it dwell in you richly, would it be a one? Would he say, listen, you haven't opened this book with me in months? Or he say, you know, you're doing okay. I'm going to give you a three because you're trying. Let's try a little harder. Let's get the Word a little bit more into you. You know, we've done studies, and, and I've shared these studies with you. There are studies that if you are in the Word of God four times or more a week, life changes. So I make it my goal to be in the Word seven times a week. If I miss a couple of days, hopefully I've still hit four. But life changes. And how would God grade you if you're getting a report back when it comes to seeking God and praising Him in all things? Whatever the situation is that's going on, how would he score you today? How would he score you? See, troubled times are coming. They're here, and they're coming, and they're going to come back. We have a choice. Am I going to choose peace? Am I going to embrace God's word? Am I going to seek to praise God in whatever the circumstances may be?